Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. In the spirit of the supernatural thriller season that it is, tra-la-la-la-la, I asked members of the Let the Right One In company about their beginnings in theatre, what scares them, and if there was a winter's night story, scene or song they'd like to share around the hearth of the Abbey Theatre fireplace. And there was. What follows is a series of mini podcast bites that won't ruin your appetite. Enjoy these podcasts. Uh, Richard Clements and in Let the Right One In I play well a number of roles uh, I play Oscar's dad 
plus ensemble. So I have frequent costume changes. <laughs> yes, it's been very different. We've spoken about that a lot actually during the rehearsal process. Uh, Jimmy's Hall was a show that was created from scratch. We had um, a, a lot of the elements from the, the film script, which were brought into the, the Jimmy's Hall script in the end, but it eventually became, it took on a life of its own. Um, and that was as a result of the ensemble that were in the room. So mainly, uh, you know, I'm thinking in terms of the movement, a lot of the choreography we created as a group. Um, so you really kind of feel as though you're building it from the foundation up. We had a long time to do that. We were in rehearsals for six weeks. Um, this was a very different experience and the show had already been tried and tested elsewhere and that as an ensemble we were kind of fitting into that mould. So there was some scope within rehearsals for finding new things and certainly I think that uh, John Tiffany noticed that when he came over, uh, not, not least in terms of the Irish accent, uh, you know, uh, what that lent to, to the, the feel of this production. Oh, preparation for it, um, well, I, I don't know, I mean, there are movies out there that people will have seen, there's the, the Scandinavian film, then there's the, uh, the American remake, there's the novel, which everything comes from, and then there's this production, and uh, Luke uh, Kernahan, who directed us in the show, made it very clear that the play is a very separate entity from all of those things in terms of what it's trying to say. Uh, I remember when I initially um, auditioned for the show, the big Thing, the, the word that he kept coming back to was loneliness. That there may well be vampires and vampiric themes within this, uh, and there's thrills uh, for the audience to be had from that, but uh, running underneath it all is this beautifully kind of sparse script which taps into those themes of, of loneliness and isolation, the isolation that the central character, Oscar, goes through and that he kind of, he's turning to all these people, friends and family for help and none of them are able to give him anything. So in the end, he turns to uh, the, well, the monster within the story who is capable then of, of showing him great love, you know. Oh, um, <laughs> well, not to go all the way back to when it all started, when I was a shy little four-year-old and I was sent to speech and drama classes. I was kind of pushed out onto a stage in front of lots of mums and dads and made to recite poetry. Um, and I think that actually in some way kind of built my confidence a bit and gave me a bit of a thrill for it. Uh, school plays, really, the usual story, school plays. I had a drama teacher who then said to me when I was, um, I think it was 18, you should apply for the National Youth Theatre. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and I did, and I got in, and I spent uh, an amazing uh, summer in London for four months, actually. I did a three-week devised theatre course where we devised the show, put it on at the end of three weeks. And then normally with the National Youth Theatre, you would have to come home at the end of that and then re-audition for shows in subsequent summers. But someone had pulled out of a production uh, and I managed to get in. So I did the course and the production, it was a production of The Tempest, this mad show, uh, all over the space of four months. So I was living as a 19 year old in London, just having the time of my life. Um, and the thing about the National Youth Theatre is it's, it, it gives you a real feel. It's, it, it, it's run like a semi-professional um, thing. So we got a real sense on of what it might be like to work in the real world as an actor. So I came home kind of going, yeah, I, I think I, c I could do this. I mean, I was at university at the time doing something entirely different. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, I, you know, I, I reckon I could do this for a living. 
so that's where I ended up, drama school and all of that after. Um, I've played piano, I played piano from when I was a kid. Um, I'm not the most amazing pianist in the world, but I've always loved writing music. I was in a band when I was at school. It was a band that sort of locally was quite successful. We were all kind of, you know, 16, 17 year olds playing gigs and earning money. Um, but I didn't write any of the music for the band. Um, there was a this genius songwriter in the group and he kind of did everything. But I learned a lot from the experience of being in the group and watching him write. And I always harbored a real desire to write stuff. So I kind of like in my downtime, that's what I do, I, I write music. And I've continued to do that. Um, I didn't share a bedroom with anyone, any brothers and sisters when I was a kid. We had separate bedrooms, which is great. I don't know, leaving the uh, wardrobe door open, that kind of thing, I hated that. Um, things in the dark that would take on strange shapes. Um, but uh, yeah, leaving the door open and the light on on the landing. I always remember that sort of last thing to my dad as he was saying goodnight. Leave the landing light on! Then uh, through the teenage years I remember, you know, you know, your mates would get an old dodgy VHS copy of some scary movie. I remember The Shining specifically when I was maybe about 14. We had a youth club and we all piled into this youth club room and stuck on the old grainy VHS and The Shining terrified me. And then I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day. Nightmare on Elm Street was the other one. Those are the two movies that I remember just not being able to sleep for, for weeks. What scares me as an adult? Well, actually, you know, a lot of those movies would still scare me. I'm not a huge fan. Um, I, I would need to be in a room with lots of people and lots of cushions to hide behind, I think, to, uh, to watch those movies now. Um, I don't know. Other things scare me now. I'm a parent. That's terrifying. <laughs> it's that thing of that Michael McIntyre talks about that you get to the end of the day and you count all your children to make sure you've got the same number that you started the day with, you know. Uh, there's a lot of that. I mean, my daughter at the moment is going through these big secondary school education exams that they, they have to do up in Belfast. And they are absolutely terrifying. They're more terrifying than any scary movie. Ten years of age and they're going through all of that pressure that kind of sets them off. and two completely separate paths in life, you know. Um, so my worries are now, are my children okay? And uh, am I doing right by them? <laughs> well, my, my funniest Christmas memory, actually, I was telling somebody about this recently, was that when I was six, I came down in the morning and Santa had brought me a little chocolate vending machine. You know those ones that you put like a, a 2p coin in and a little tiny bar of dairy milk would come out? And, um, but I worked out a way after mum and dad had gone back to bed, I kind of broke it and realised that I could get all the chocolate out with one coin. So I ate all of the chocolate in one go at half six in the morning. And my mum <laughs> says that she remembers coming down and seeing me sitting in the lounge in a pool of vomit. I just puked everything up <laughs> or boked everything up as we send the north. <laughs> it's just sitting there. So that, that's... I don't know. That would be her unhappiest memory of Christmas. So, like, as I was saying, I do a lot of songwriting, and I guess in the, in the course of the last couple of years, uh, a lot of my songwriting and lyrics tend to focus on that thing of, you know, the responsibility of having kids and what that means. Particularly, like, you know, in my line of work, and I'm away a lot. I spend a lot of time um, away from, from the family and the pressures that uh, come with that. Um, and... 
you know, particularly with my daughter, I kind of, you know, looking at the world through her eyes and sort of the big obstacles that she has ahead of us and how oblivious as kids they are to it and, you know, how responsible we are as adults for making sure that, uh, that it all works out okay. So I think, you know, it's inevitable that when you're a parent that kind of happens, you know. And uh, so there are a couple of pieces today that I kind of chose which sort of tap into that a little bit. And I was kind of thinking with some of the central themes of, of Let the Right One In, uh, there's a lot of that going on. Um, Oscar thinks that he's a grown-up and he's not. But he grows up pretty fast through the course of the play. Um, and it, it's a show really that's about the uncertainty of those teenage years. What you need from the people around you. Uh, which, you know, in Oscar's case is, you know, very much lacking. And um, certain figures that come into our life and uh, the way they behave around us that then affect our own behaviour in certain ways. And um, so all, all of that, the, comp the complications of those years. Will you play? Sure. In your own time. Is not dead. I'm in my own head. 
I know what I'll do. 